Welcome to another episode of the Spurs 2016 podcast. Greece 3, Northern Ireland 1. We are staying up, say we are staying up via goal difference against the mighty Cyprus. They conceded five more goals than us. Goodness me, they must have conceded a lot of goals in every game because that was another dreadful Northern Ireland performance. And to dissect it, I have got Ben Harshaw. I've got Lauren McCann from Spain. Um interestingly and um, we've got peter baker less interestingly from sheffield ben's from from cookstown or somewhere like that and um, so hopefully you're able to understand him tonight but uh yeah let, let's let's get stuck into it pete i'll come to you first and um, third in league c stay up via goal difference we're 50 or 10 points off the leaders in the end perhaps naively it was a group that we thought we might have been with a chance of winning but it's very clear we are at best, a league C, uh, a league C side, and not a side that can compete at the top of league C either. Yeah, I mean, I look back at the predictions we made at the very start when they <laughs> the should we delete that podcast? What did we say? <laughs> Six points from Cyprus home and away, <laughs> win a Kosovo at home, draw away, maybe get a winner at home to Greece. Yeah, look like fools now if we listen back to that. Uh, dire. Word that springs to mind, inaccurate, clueless in possession. You know, string two passes together and suddenly we lose the ball. And by no means were Greece a good team. I mean, if they were a good team, they wouldn't have lost to Cyprus. Well, exactly. With all due respect. Um, Even we didn't lose to Cyprus. No. You know. I know. We did our best, but we didn't. I mean, watch, even watching that game in the first half, I thought we were too respectful of, of Greece and their home stadium. We could have got at them. We didn't take the challenge to them after getting the equaliser. And, you know, after two years of this sort of transition, I don't know where we are. You know, what's the game plan? If you look at the spine of players we have, it's exactly the same as where we began. Who are the first names in the team sheet? Davis, Evans, Peacock, Farrell. McGuinness. Who's come, who's come McGuinness, Dallas when he's fit. Who's coming in to fill the void? I don't know. So I'm perplexed. Yeah, we'll do a little bit of chat about kind of where we are two or however, what, two and a half years on from his, his first contract. But Lauren, Pete makes a point there that I completely agree with. And we talked about it a little bit in the pre-pod that, you know, Greece, I thought were, were really, really poor. I thought they were really poor at 1-1. I thought there was loads of space for us in the midfield. There was loads of time for us to, first of all, pick a simple pass if we needed to, but also like there was an opportunity to get people away down the wing. There was an opportunity to get people in behind. Um, there was an opportunity just to find spaces and the game was there for the taking and like a, a, a semi-competent Northern Ireland team could have possibly gone on one that two or three one. I think Greece's hearts weren't in it whatsoever. They'd already won the group and they left loads and loads of space for us and I thought they were terrible and the fact that they've beaten us 3-1 while being terrible just puts into perspective how how quite dreadful we are to watch at the minute. Yeah, I think they had a spell maybe like five, ten minutes after half time where they were really up for it, you know, actually stringing a few passes together because you could say they were equally as Irish-strain as Northern Ireland, but they, they weren't made to work hard for the goals. You know, we gifted them the first two, the, the third one as well, arguably, you know, Peacock Farrell probably should be getting closer to it. But, you know, once you get that equaliser from Lavery and after, you know, all the positive momentum that was sort of generated with, you know, a mad 25-minute spell um, on Saturday, but one that, you know, actually showed we have something tacking in 10 and we saw none of that tonight at all. The substitutions that came on didn't do anything. 
they were strange subs and they didn't impact the game. And you know, after Lavery scored the one moment quality, there was there was nothing else to go on, and that is super because as you said, you know, George Baldock, who I'm still amazed, is, is somehow Greek. <laughs> he can't um, be Greek, can he? Baldockus. You know, heaven to me, Gasper, forward. <laughs> we're bombing forward and they were leaving that space and we just didn't exploit it I know we don't really like Cregan but they did make the point you know why didn't some wingers come on earlier in the game to maybe try and exploit that space that was there but yeah as you say you know Greece weren't great but Northern Ireland were even worse and that's just how they won the game yeah, congratulations to anyone who had Lauren at 100-1 to one to be the first one to slag off Cregan there. You, you can <laughs> fairly tell that Ben hasn't been allowed to talk yet, but we'll give him the opportunity now. Um, ben, Lauren's absolutely right. The thing that struck me is, you know, Lauren mentions the word error, there the words error strewn there, and there was so much, you know, so many passes that were just a couple of yards the wrong side and just gifted possession back to Greece every time. But the thing that, that I didn't get, and I think it probably reflects worst on the manager, is that when we did lose the ball, you had one or two or three players going for a full press and then one or two or three players completely uninterested. You've got your Bradleys, you know, Lavery was really, really getting stuck in, but it wasn't in any way coordinated. It clearly wasn't anything they'd worked on. They hadn't thought of a trigger for a press and this is when we're going to go and this is when we're going to win the ball back. It was like Bradley running around like a headless chicken. That's not being disrespectful to him. He was doing what he needed to do, but in the context of other players not doing what they needed to do in a press, it looks like a headless chicken. Lavery looks the same. Saville always sort of tries to lead the press. And then McGuinness is neither here nor there. The other midfielders haven't really got enough pace to do it. It all seemed very thrown together, very uncoordinated, and anything good Northern Ireland did do didn't seem like anything that had been worked on in the training ground. The, the moves and the goal kind of just happens it can happen when you throw the ball into the box and a bit of quality from your players. And that's the most concerning thing for me, I think, from tonight and from the, the last campaign, at least. But doesn't it always, you say, it looks thrown together? It always does under him. I mean, you know, the only, the only time that we've looked any way decent in this group um, or league, I should say, um, is when when we're basically two goals down or one goal down and we're throwing everything at it and seeing what sticks, basically. Um, and, and that's when we sort of go for it. But there's no there's no organisation. There's no fluidity to the, to the team. Um, they don't look like they're coached. They don't look like there's a plan in place. I mean, you know, at this point, I'd rather have Barra Best than Barclough. You know, he's an absolute clown. And how he has been allowed to be in that position in the first place, what did he ever do to get an international job? Nothing is the answer. Um, and, I mean, it's gone on far, 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 far too long. He has taken us from a playoff, which was not his, his getting, away from going to the Euros to the verge of Group D. And just, as you say, staying in Group C or League C, um, and goal difference ahead of the mighty, mighty Cyprus, who were 2-0 up against us at Windsor Park. I mean, he is a clown. And if he has anything about him, any self-respect, resign tonight. You know? He, he, he just he is an embarrassment to this country. It's it's as bad as it was under, under Worthington. And, and believe me, that was bad. All right. Uh, Trying to follow that up, MP. <laughs> it's very hard to disagree. I've... Uh, grown to to quite dislike the man personally. Some of the comments about the supporters, the cheek to come out and have a go at Peacock Farrell for not playing at club level. Understand Peacock Farrell wasn't very good tonight uh, for quite a few of the goals, but that man has single handedly keeping kept Ian Barclough in a job. 
you know, some some thankfulness and some gratefulness wouldn't go far amiss there. You know, Peacock Farrell has been sensational for Ian Barclough, sensational every single, more or less every single game. And the amount of points that that guy has won him from saves that you don't expect him to make for things that you don't expect him to do. I mean, penalty saves alone, never mind from open play. Um, but what I don't really get is that, you know, we mentioned it's been thrown together and there's a lot of periods of play where it's not tactical. It's just kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you can see that Northern Ireland don't have the requisite quality to, to compete really uh, a lot of the time with these nations, but Northern Ireland have never really had the requisite quality to compete with these nations. We've always had to use different tactics. We've always had to be a little bit more conservative, make sure we're bloody solid at the back first and foremost, which we're absolutely not, by the way, we're an utter disgrace at the back at the minute. Um, but also the other thing is is set pieces, and we've mentioned these before, and set pieces are a way for Northern Ireland to get goals, to get chances. And there was a comment, I think we've mentioned it in the podcast before, but there's a comment from Baraclough, I think it was after the June games, where he referenced the fact that they don't really work in the set pieces in training. They just kind of they, they let the players do it. And it's like, what on earth are you talking about? This That's one of our best routes to uh, to to goal. It's you know it's something that Barak uh, that Michael O'Neill and the likes of Stephen Robinson was in at the time, and the coaches under Michael O'Neill massively utilised. They had those teams analysed to within an inch of their lives. The little routines, the little different things that could happen, and then we get a set piece on around eighty tonight, with it being two one. Good opportunity to get men up the pitch, and Davis just kind of takes it quickly and floats it into the keeper's arms. Now, Steve Davis, one of our best players of all time, is not kind of doing that because he thinks it's the best thing to do. He's doing that because there's no coordinated organization. There's no runs. There's no blocks. There's nothing. What on earth are they doing on the training pitch? What on earth is he doing in these like three, four months he has between games? Yeah, I, I didn't know he'd said that. Yep. It's just a head and hands moment, isn't it? I mean, I, ex- I mean, we all accept this fan. We're not stupid. We don't have the quality to match most of the teams we play against. Even a team like Greece, huge population, lots of, like professional teams that play in the Champions League. We're not going to have the same amount of quality as them, but we need to find ways to level the playing field. And that's through a plan, organisation, everyone knowing their role on the pitch and being accurate. We were completely inaccurate in defence, completely inaccurate on the ball. And it even leads, I mean, inaccuracies with Peacock Farrell as well, not being assertive enough. It just sort of summed it up. One of our best players had fold for a couple of goals tonight, arguably. Yeah. It, it just sums it up. The fact that set pieces seem like an utter waste at the minute is a joke. Why we why we have some of our tallest players taking them, I don't understand. Yeah. Even Savile, not, like he's never going to score for us, Savile, but he's, he's at least sort of 5'11", you know. You no, know, that Savile corner was just <laughs> dinked into the box. Easy as pie for the keeper to come and collect. I, you know, our eternal struggle is scoring goals. That's our way to do it. That's our way into a game. It's a cheap goal to score. And really, you know, sink the hearts of the opposition and we have no threat there um I, i'm just in despair like we we go into matches and i don't know how we're going to score yeah you know, what does the no system- goal look like what on earth does it look like there's no know? system i mean tonight it was just a cross and lavery was in the right place at the right time and it was a good finish but we created nothing else tonight yeah 
and we didn't look like creating anything all night. No, completely, and and so, that's yeah. I think that's I think that's a very fair point, Lauren. What does an Northern Ireland goal look like? These goals that we're scoring are are kind of just happening. Where you know, at some point, you could have absolutely no manager there, and at some point, you're going to find yourself with a ball at your feet in the opposition half. At some part of the game, it's it's going to happen. And the goals that happen for Northern Ireland are kind of just a byproduct of that. There's now, I'm not naive enough. I don't think we live in a football manager world here where every goal is a Guardiola esque intricate passage of play that's been, you know, memorized and repeated and choreographed over and over and over on the training ground. I'm well aware of the fact that sometimes, you know, football is about getting yourselves in the right positions often enough for those sort of things to happen. But when every goal is a byproduct of that, then it's it's sort of like, well, if we're as bad as what we're looking and this, if we're, if we're having sort of as, as little of the play on as little possession as we're having, then the chances that those types of goals are going to happen are, are, are few and far between themselves. There's nothing from set pieces. We're very rarely getting any set pieces anyway. And, you know, there, there really does seem to be no plan. McGuinness plays every, every game, but whether he's playing with a white, who's a different player from a Lavery, who's a different player from Charles, you know, is it, I understand even, you know, leaving sort of Lavery in the last man and letting him chase the ball in behind. It's not the most positive tactic in the world, but we all we all know that we're Northern Ireland and and we, we can't necessarily, um, you know, we're not going to go into a game even like this with 66-5% possession, pretty much any away game, we're not going to have that. So that's the that's the most frustrating thing to me. There's, there's no real plan in attack and that's even before you look at what's happening at the back, which is pretty dreadful in itself. Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, Lavery's running in behind. I don't even think we barely even had a sniff of that nope. because we just couldn't we couldn't get out of our own half and it wasn't even Greece were that good. We just give the ball away anytime it came close to the final third. And you know, you think you're playing the likes of Lewis and Bradley in a five, maybe with that, you know, that extra protection there to go forward and put crosses into the box for the likes of McGuinness. But they did barely advance beyond the halfway line and you think that would be the plan. But you know, as you said, there just doesn't seem to be one at the minute. And that's yeah, as you say, you know. The first things first is to be defensively solid and we're far, far from that at the moment. And then that's just, you know, when you're just constantly... The, the first having... goal, I think as Dave said in the chat, the, the, um, the, we're playing three centre-halves and they still have a fella picking the ball up on the penalty spot with about five seconds of space if he wanted it. Yeah. Or five seconds yeah, of time, the, I should say. The easiest finish you're likely going to see and it just dropped into the box. It seemed like everybody sort of waited for like a foul to be given or something mm-hmm. when clearly he got Carl was going into his own man everybody just stopped and it was sorry i was talking about finish. you're right that was the first goal i was talking about i think this is it the second one when oh, david yeah, gives well, it away yeah yeah but, yeah yeah but we don't react to the first one either no it's yeah you just you know that's the time when if you have three center halves are fling themselves at the ball if the man has chase in, in the box then but you know it, it just didn't happen and that's probably you know the root cause you know after we get back into the game you're thinking you know keep it tight especially after half time you know having some high made it level at the break and you know they had like a five ten minutes fail and we just didn't react after that and you're thinking you know after Saturday maybe when the subs come on you can't get a reaction you know they proved it on Saturday they could do it but it was an app today no nobody I don't think you'll struggle for a man of the match because just nobody showed up and, and played. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, Lauren mentions the subs there. We'll not go on to the impact they have because the answer to that's very short. It was zero. But I, I don't get why he takes Lavery and Bradley off. You know, I understand Connor Bradley doesn't have the best game. He doesn't have the game that he had 
on Saturday against Kosovo where I thought he was brilliant. He is a bit loose in possession, but he's no more loose or no more sloppy than anyone else. And leaving him on for the 90 minutes there is only going to do him the world of good. You know, learning to play against the likes of uh, direct opponent of a Samikas, who's, who's you know, playing Champions League football for Liverpool. And I, by the way, I thought in terms of defensively and dealing with Samikas and their winger, I thought he actually did really well. It was more on the ball, which is, I've absolutely no concerns about him, where he was a little bit sloppy. But it, it, it strikes you of conservative vein every time. It always has to be exciting players who may not be having the best game, but it's always your steady eddies who stay in the pitch. And at 1-1, when we've nothing to lose, you know, Cyprus are getting cabbaged, what, 4-0 in Kosovo at this time. We're going to stay up. It's 1-1 and a goal gets us into pot four for the European Championships. And, you know, if you, if you can get yourselves into, into pot four, you can end up with your, your, your bottom two seeds being like a Moldova and a San Marino. A lucky draw, and you, you never know what what can happen if you get a couple of wins on the board. Pot five, I know we qualified from there in 2016, but it's, it's a it's a tough, tough ask to even be competitive in a group like that. And you could find yourself getting hammered every week. So there was merit in us going to win that game tonight, and the substitutions just seemed like it was, let's hold what we have. It seemed like an egotistical substitution. You know, if I, if I personally can come out of this with four points, then I might look good. Um, it may help me by myself a little bit more time I can't understand them yeah I thought I thought actually you made that sub at 2-1 down but uh, I could be wrong might be right, um, so, yeah. um, but yeah I think that was what bothered me uh, yeah I would agree with you I don't think Bradley was as wonderful as he was on Saturday um, although funnily enough I think defensively he was more solid tonight than he was on Saturday um, but the thing about Bradley is he has the energy and he has the individual ability to make something happen, like we saw the other day when he cut in, and you know that goal would have been wonderful. And he, I think he did a chop, and oh, his, his shot wasn't the best in that. But um, but he has the individual ability, and and he has so much to learn and so much to gain by staying on. So it, it makes no sense to me to be taking him off, you know. Um, yeah, and then also, like a, it's not as if it was a protection thing for him. A lot of people think, "I'll oh, pull him out of the firing line in case his confidence gets shot." He was doing absolutely fine, you know. No, yeah. No, there's no, there's no explanation for it, really. There really isn't. Um, and I would, and then, and then to bring on Dion Charles, you know, on the left wing, uh, it's just, it's just mind-boggling, really. Um, especially this is, this is my thing with him is there's not a lot of, doesn't seem to be a lot of method behind what he does and a lot of progression from previous games and things. So, for example, you see Dion Charles finally gets his first start. And I'm, I, I don't mind in, in Tran Lavery tonight. The one thing you know is he's always playing Josh. And I suppose after Josh has just scored the winner, you're not going to not, not start him. That's fair enough. I'll give him a bye ball on that. But, you know, to then bring him on and play him on the left rather than saying, right, listen, we'll get Josh hasn't really. I mean, Josh was poor tonight, I have to be honest. Um, and to bring him on, put him on up front. Another example of that is, out of the June games, very few positives, but one positive for me, major positive, was Shea Charles. Now, could you not have tried bringing him on tonight? You know, yeah. give, give the kid another, give him more experience. He can pick a pass. He's, he's certainly got the football and brain that, quite frankly, is, is ahead of some of our players. Um, another thing is, like, do you remember, I can't remember the exact game of it now, but a while ago, all he made this big fuss about bringing Dale Taylor into the squad and then bringing him on for 20 minutes. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here and saying Dale Taylor is the answer. 
But what was the point of that? We've never seen him again. He's never even been in the squad again. Is it an egotistical thing, Ben? Is it a thing where he can say, look, I've brought these players through? Well, I think that's what it is. Brody, I think that's what it is. If Brody Spencer was good enough to... I don't know. He might be injured or something. I mean, he's not even in the squad. If he was good enough to start away to Kosovo and now he's not in our 25 best players, is it just so he can point to this in future interviews and say, look, I brought through here, 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 and here? He, he was with the 19s today. He with, yeah, he played, he played for the 19s. Well, I can understand that because they, um, because they end up. Uh, I've lost you all here. I don't know if you can still hear me. Um, hold on, just wait. It it just doesn't make sense, other than as you say, for him to now be able to say, "Look, I brought this player through, this player there through, this player through." It, it, there's no, there's no, there's no method to it, you know. And and to me, as you've said, it seems to be all about him. Yeah, sorry, I lost you all for a second there, so apologies that I've just been talking rubbish in the background. It says my internet connection's unstable. Let me know if it um, goes fuzzy there, guys, and we'll, I'll just redo this bit. Um, okay, right, we will go... Uh, we'll finish on the game. Uh, we've already said about 1-1. One, one. Positives, Pete. Mm-hmm. Normally with one or two, one or two young players that come through, but it's such a... As as Ben mentions, as Dave's mentioned as well, in the, in the post-Kosovo podcast... He says, you know, Barclough's remit was to, to, to bring these young players through and make the transition as smooth as possible. And then the team he ends up selecting is is pretty much, as Ben says, the team that he left or that he that he took on two years ago. I understand he doesn't have the likes of Ballard and stuff with him tonight where he, where he probably would, would play those players. But, you know, I don't know. In, in terms of any positives, Lavery, maybe. But even then, I didn't think he was particularly great tonight. Couldn't have done much more. Um, I'd probably look at the positives in the. I'd look at it in the whole two-year cycle. To be honest with you, this Nations League has sort of ended that two-year spell, um, where he's had the opportunity to develop the squad. We've seen Ballard come through, Lavery, McCann, uh, Connor Bradley, mm-hmm. but with the emergence of the of these young players, we haven't seen a change in the style of play. We haven't seen a plan emerge, a formula for us to go forward. Yeah, it, it, it's um, just kind of what, it's just the fact that he's brought the young players through. He hasn't brought them through in a way where they can thrive. He hasn't built the system around any of them. He doesn't seem to have a plan for any of them. Any of us can go and select the players. They understand it takes a set of bollocks, but any of us can go and select the players at the end of the day. Um. Yeah. But he, but he, you know, there's, there's, there's bringing players through, and there's, there's, there's the complete no substance behind. Is there? Well, exactly. What's the, what's the end product? You know, I, I think this is the, the lowest we can go. To be honest, we're not going down to Group D, surely. I mean, there's what seven teams in there. Surely we. Can, I mean, teams, yeah. I mean, we've always been above the very, very, very bottom tier in Europe, but we're right above it now. And yeah, we're on the brink. At the minute, I feel like this is the right time for a change. It needs to happen. It's doom and gloom amongst the fans. It surely can only go get better. At the minute, it just feels feels stale, to be honest. I've been patient with Barraclough. I'm giving him a chance, but yeah, not not really many positives from this campaign at all, to be honest. We failed all expectations. Time for a change, Lauren. Yeah, I have to think so. You know, at this stage, and it's like the perfect end of the cycle. You know, you have so long now to build between now and March, and when yeah. you know the 
the groups are revealed next week or so. Yeah, I think. next like, Sunday, I think yeah. it is. So yeah, it's it's the perfect time, but I don't know if they'll do it. You know, as as Ben said before, we were on um, that two-year contract they've given them, and are they going to pay them out and kind of accept it that they've got this one wrong? I don't know. Um, so it, it's this difficult one to, to say, but I do think a change is definitely needed. As we've mentioned countless times already, you know, there's no system in place. The young players he has brought in, you know, you see them sparingly. They come in and out. And they're not rest for these bigger games when you look at the likes of, I know we're not the likes of England or Germany, but they bring Musiala in, he plays. They bring Bellingham in, he starts to play, he's integrated into the squad, whereas ours are kind of in and out and you never see them again. So, yeah, I, th- I think a change is needed if you actually want to try and progress. Yeah, that's that's the, the perfect analogy as well. They're really those players who come through and are actually there's a plan for them. There's a there's a there's a, a tactical plan for them, not just sort of throw them in just to say this is how you've you've brought in, or just to have a favour at the end of it to say this is the amount of players I brought through from the under twenty ones. It is it is a bit pathetic and it's, it doesn't help those players either. You know, it doesn't help a, a Brody Spencer or anyone like that because he's sitting there thinking, well, I mean, Spencer's perhaps a bad example because obviously the 19s qualified today and maybe they thought actually, you know, we'll we'll, we'll leave him there to, to make the squad a bit stronger. But, you know, for other players, they're, they're seeing themselves come in, start a couple of games, then like Shea Charles doesn't get a look in today and he's sort of looking at it thinking, well, did I not do particularly well in the last ones? Because I thought he was one of our better players. Um, so there's going to be confusion amongst those players as well. Uh, ben, I know what you think of our club. So I was going to say, I didn't want the listeners to be wondering, like, you know, if I wanted to keep him or not. <laughs> We've got to this point of the podcast without using the P word as well, which is, <laughs> which is quite impressive. We had bingo in that, I think. Um, right, Ewan Glass says, we're not good enough to be our own worst enemy. Whether it be mistakes on the pitch or uh, or off, keeping Barclough would be a huge one. Um Aaron Jeffrey says, regardless of how good or bad a campaign we have, there's usually positives to take out of it. However, this one has been dire performance after dire performance. Hard to take any positives. Being pot five for the qualification drop makes it even worse. Yeah, even the win. We didn't deserve to win that game last week. You know, we really, really didn't. Ross Whitehead says, we've seen enough of Barclough. An injury time winner against Kosovo was always going to paper over the huge gaping cracks. Fresh ideas are needed as Barclough is out of his depth. Oh, the comments just disappeared. He should stick to youth football where results don't matter. Chris says, no point in analysing anything. He's a fraud and he has to go. All right, we'll have to do a podcast, Chris, don't we? Peter McNeil says, I cannot watch that version of Five at the Back again. Uh, don't even know where we go from here. Hope for a sunshine away trip next June. Yeah, there's somebody else, by the way, he said, um, who came back to me and said, like, oh, Kosovo home, 5 p.m. Thoughts? And he says, could be potential for the... Um, the worst post-match mood ever. <laughs> yeah, listen to the podcast, guys. I'm sure that'll cheer you up. Craig says, abysmal, excruciating to watch. The manager just has to go. Time up on Barra. Um, if we keep Barraclough, we're going to be embarrassed in the European qualifiers. Yep, spot on. Um, any shouts for a manager who you'd want to bring in? Uh, obviously, that's the that's the thing thrown at us. or Not, not thrown at us in particular, but... Normally, when people want a manager sacked, especially Northern Ireland manager sacked, because of the limited options, you're either kind of getting that young manager on the crest of a wave, or you're getting the sort of experienced head who inevitably has failed in a couple of jobs if he is in a position where he's going to take the Northern Ireland job. Anyone, any names you want to throw out there? Brendan Rogers. <laughs> he's going to walk away. He's going to walk away from Leicester soon. He said he wants a job. Where else is he going to go? I mean, I know, I know it's unlikely, um, but why not? 
I think Rogers said he'd do it more towards the end of his career. I could see Brendan Rogers being known out of manager someday, but I think his stock's a little bit higher than, than us at the moment. I mean, it's only a year or two since he nearly got Leicester into the Champions League, and I understand he, in, in, in inverted commas, bottled it in the end, but, you know... But he's never managed in League C before, like, I mean... It's well, a big thing to be able to... Pro- yeah, he needs to prove himself. It's, there, there certainly is a gaping hole in his CV. Any names, Pete? I know not it's not our job, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Not, not particularly. Say, yeah. Obviously, Rodgers is the dream. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you could get, him, get his hands on some silverware, the League, League C trophy. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Why not? <laughs> yeah. and aside from that, yeah. Not really, to be honest. So it's very reactionary, isn't it? To get rid of Barraclough without a plan. We're in that luxury, luxurious position where we can do that, though. It's not our job. Yeah, absolutely. We can just point out the problems. So, I mean, you've got the, the usual names. You know, you've got yeah. your Stephen Robinsons. You've got um, who started to turn things around at Samarin, um after having a bad spell. Um, you know, me Lennon's another name. Yeah, Again, I would, ta- I would, I would, waiting around before somebody mentioned. I would take him. I would take him. I would take <laughs> him. Life in Cyprus. I take him every day. He is in Cyprus. Um, he's, he's not going to leave. He he's enjoying Cyprus apparently. Well, working no. there. Who knows? But I mean, who who can we attract at this moment in time? Mm. It has to be someone who's got some affiliation. Yeah, it has to be at the, at the very least. We need to get that hard of of. Or in, or in Kieran, I was going to say a good job. Him. Just bring the good job. Actions. What about what about Healy then? Has he done enough? No. No. <laughs> Fair enough. I'd have Warren Kearney over Healy. Really? Yeah. Well, what's Warren Kearney won that Healy? What's what's he won? He hasn't won anything. Healy's won plenty. So what are what are we going to win, Ben? <laughs> hmm? What are we going to win? The Euros. Uh, a match. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I has. I, it's tight. It's tight. I th- I would say Healy with an experienced person with him um isn't a bad. Sh- well, put it this way: any of the names we've just mentioned are better than that idiot. You know. So. You know what? Well, it's time we're, we we can't we can't go lower. So it's time to rebuild, and maybe maybe it is rebuilding with a with a, a younger manager that that is going to. You know, come up because as Pete said, who are we going to attract, really? Yeah. Well, I, I, I as much as the, the appointment of Barclough has been in a, a sort of unmitigated disaster, I would rather go for that type of appointment than get a, I don't know, a, I guess, like the way Scotland appoint Alex McLeish after he's kind of been knocking around for 15 years and done an average job and not really improved anyone. I'd rather go for it because for every Barraclough there is a Michael O'Neill and you can just hit that real sweet spot of a manager on his way up who inevitably is going to use you to get into club football or to get into England, but you still get sort of three or four glorious years. Um, Before we wrap up... Damien Johnson. Yeah, well, yeah, Grant McCann, uh, Aaron Hughes as well. As well. I have no idea. Grant McCann, actually, I've totally forgotten about. Probably out of all those names would be who I would give a go for. I, I always really enjoy, and I, I know it's it's a very different ball game to, to being a manager, but I enjoy listening to Aaron Hughes talk about football. I think he's intelligent. Mm. I think he's tactically switched on. I know he's going through the coaching badges. Are you going to give him the Northern Ireland job first off with just having done a little bit of work in the, what is it, the under-19s and some of the younger squads? Probably not. Um, but certainly in the future, I could definitely see Aaron Hughes managing Northern Ireland one day. We'll, 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 we'll go ahead. Before, so I was just going to say, um, all this talk of the manager, like the, the IFA really have some things to answer because, you know, at the end of that campaign, I, 
you, I think we all know my position was I, I never wanted him in the first place and I wanted him sacked at every opportunity, quite frankly. But at the end of the campaign, having drawn 0-0 lately, if it was up to me, I would have got rid. However, I can understand why they might have said, we'll give him another chance and we'll give him till the end of the Nations League campaign. But to give him a two-year contract is negligent. I mean... Now, if they want to get rid of him, they're going to have to pay him off. Whereas they could have said, listen, we'll give you another chance. We'll give you another year. Here's another campaign. You're not good enough. Bye-bye. You know, they really should be coming out and explaining. And I'll tell you what, they should come out. If they, if they don't have the balls to get rid, which I would be surprised if they do because they don't want to spend the money, they should come out and explain why they think he is the right man to keep other than the fact that he's got a contract. Because if he can't beat League C teams and we're going in as a fifth, fifth, um, if pop five, but what makes them think he's going to be able to beat t- teams that are then above their our quality? Yeah, yeah, no, it's hard to disagree with any of that. And the more and more you mentioned the idea of the one year contract, uh, I mean, it's not exactly a vote of confidence in him, but he'd done nothing to, to earn a vote of confidence in him, as far as I'm concerned. Lauren, we'll finish this up by talking about Johnny Evans 100 caps tonight, not his best performance, but. You know, I don't know if you watched the, the video that Northern Ireland put out earlier where kind of a lot of his, his, his former teammates and current teammates and former managers just basically talked about uh, how he is as a man as much as, as he is as a phenomenal footballer. And, uh, you know, we've talked tonight about the fact that we don't have that many technically brilliant footballers, but Johnny Evans really was a, is a superstar and is a, is a real gem that we find and hopefully many more appearances to come because I don't, apart from Daniel Ballard, I don't really read anyone else coming through there at the minute. Yeah, and... Um- I think, you know, he's always in the Premier League, been one of the best defenders in the past few years. I know the last year and a half, he's obviously struggled quite a bit with injury and form, but, you know, he's been one. And Rodgers. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine Johnny Evans finally gets rid of Brendan Rodgers' mad style of football. All of a sudden, he's managing at an international level next to Tom Flanagan. (laughs) And Kofi Bomber, just not in. (laughs) Um, But no, he's always been, you know, like Davis, a solid, reliable player. Whenever he's not injured, you know, he's always there for the camps and he does, you know, a performance again. Setley in the last campaign was magnificent and obviously tonight would be a disappointing one. But, you know, yeah, hopefully it's it's not the end of his international career because I do still think um, he can get back to the level that he was. But obviously it's been a bit disappointing the past year. Definitely, Pete. It's it's interesting at club level, even if you if you talk about it like this. He's a player that is is unfashionable in in some ways, mainly because he's probably from this part of the world. But he's one of those who I think you know Arsene Wenger always loved him. Tried to sign him numerous times for Arsenal for thirty million. Obviously, you know people Arsenal fans didn't, didn't particularly want that. As I say, maybe not the most fashionable option. But there are plenty and plenty of managers who are very very highly rated Johnny Evans. And I think one of the most uh, interesting things is you know you look at Harry Maguire who goes for eighty million. Um, you then look at, at Wes Fafana, who's just gone for 75 million. You look at Soyuncu, the season after Maguire comes in. Uh, when Evans got injured, Soyuncu looked like an absolute cabbage for a while. Johnny Evans is that consistency next to them. And if you actually speak to Leicester fans who watch Leicester week in, week out, maybe not this season because they've been so bad, but Leicester fans who've watched them week in, week out under Rodgers, they'll all tell you that, you know, Maguire gets all the headlines, Fafana gets all the headlines, Soyuncu gets all the headlines, but Johnny Evans is the man. Yeah, the rock, and he's. You know, you hear United fans complaining about their centre halves over the years. You know, yeah. I mean, Evans over the past six, seven years, would he have started for that United team? You know, Absolutely. probably. Well, sure, when Moyes, is, Moyes or Van Hal comes in and he says that Johnny Evans is his, his first choice centre half, 
Yeah, one of, one yeah, of them. Anyway. Ferguson always rated him. Ferguson was yeah. really a bad player. That's why he kept him around. But yeah, I mean, I, I was there for his debut against Spain. You know, and what a debut it was when he came to come in. And he's been a star ever since. So, yeah, very pleased to see him get the 100 caps. Thoroughly deserves it. And he's, you know, the definition of a loyal uh, servant to the country, basically. Absolutely. So, couldn't, yeah. couldn't speak highly enough about him. Rolls Royce, Ben. Last word to you. Uh, not, not that you're a Rolls Royce. Far from it. <laughs> I'm a Skoda of the old days. Um, but uh, no, Johnny Evans. I mean, what can you say? Like the the word legend gets thrown around in football these days, but he really is a legend. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the. I, I remember being at his debut against Spain, and like 17 years old, thrown in against that Spain team that went on to win Euro, World Cup, Euros. And he was absolutely phenomenal. And, he, he, you know, he has been brilliant. All right, injuries and stuff are catching up on him now. But, you know, any player to be loyal enough to have 100 caps, which, I mean, also goes on to show Steve Davis 140 caps. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, any any player, especially when Johnny's had injuries too, like to have achieved the 100 caps and to keep keep coming back and back and back, you know, is, is testament to his character as much as his ability. Um, he's he's absolutely fantastic. I don't know. One of the biggest mysteries in football is what the hell he was ever doing at that West Brom team after he left Man United. Yeah, exactly. how, how he didn't get a better better move. Like um, and and really, you know, you can't you can't say enough. I mean, in in my lifetime, he's in the top two best players to play for Northern Ireland. Which, given some of the draws, maybe doesn't say a lot. But uh, we've had some good players too. You know, him and Steve Davis are. Or class above because when you look at you look at Macaulay was brilliant for us you know you look at Aaron Hughes was a fantastic defender um, and servant but you know Johnny Johnny was Johnny is brilliant you know and, and well done to him he, you know he deserves all the all the plaudits he gets definitely John, Johnny Johnny just really has that that little bit of extra quality as well Macaulay was great from set pieces and, and fantastic for us Aaron Hughes was ever reliable but Johnny Evans like you, you guys have, have all said he, you know he comes in against left back against Spain and I heard Laurie Sanchez saying today that I think Raul starts there Torres starts there after half an hour thought not getting any joy so Raul came over to have a go ended up with David Silva and I just that everyone I think Laurie said everyone just knew they weren't getting any joy out of him tonight and I'm sure they saw a 17 year old on the team sheet and, and and sort of thought let's let's really target him but they they realized they weren't getting any joy out of him and that has been the case for uh, you know a hell of a lot the the vast, vast majority of Johnny Evans's Northern Ireland career. And the, the stall was set out from day one. And I think he's just a really, really underrated centre half on the ball as well. He's a really good technical centre half. You know, you very rarely see him just, just lump it. Okay, he goes long quite a bit, but it's a measured ball over the top. You know, you forget even at the European Championships, we lose Chris Brunt, who's the first player he throws into left back. It's Johnny Evans. And he's sensational at left back in all three of those grip games. He really, really is so good. Um, and that just shows the level of quality of, of him. Obviously, you, you were losing a lot by not having him there, but it's more important to have a, a player of the ability on the ball of Johnny Evans as a left-back rather than maybe throwing a Macaulay out there or a Cathcart out there. I know it sounds ridiculous, but they did actually start out playing fullback for Northern Ireland. So, yeah, just a, an absolutely tremendous, tremendous footballer. Let's hope it's not the end. Let's hope he has, far, he has plenty more caps because he has a lot more uh, to give to this country. Um, so yeah, just just massive, massive thank you to Johnny Evans for his service so far, and, and fingers crossed, um, it gets it, 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 the story goes on even longer. So, right, uh, unless there's any other business, we're going <laughs> to wrap up and say goodbye to that Nations League campaign for as long as we can. 
The European Championships draw is next Sunday as we record, so about 10 days' time, uh, 10 or 11 days' time. So I'm sure we'll have a reaction show out to that. Probably won't be the longest, but um, a draw is always exciting no matter what shape we're in. I always love having a look before it, seeing what teams we could potentially draw to give us a little a little glimpse of a, a major tournament. It seems a million miles away, but if we're not believing, then then nobody else can possibly. So uh, thank you very much to Pete. Thank you very much to Lauren. Thank you very much to Ben. 